this day in 1984. A model of Boy George, formerly of Culture Club, was unveiled at Madame Tussauds Waxworks in London, England, on his 23rd birthday. He was part of the English New Romantic Movement, which emerged in the late 70s to the early 80s. Early on, he caught the attention of uh, entrepreneur Malcolm McLaren, formerly manager of the Sex Pistols, and had George join Bow Wow Wow. Now, that was short-lived. He went on to create the Culture Club, and at the height of his fame, during the 80s, they recorded global hit songs such as Karma Chameleon and this one, and his look and fashion was greatly inspired by the glam rock pioneers of like David Bowie and Mark Bolan, and he is 60 today. Dr. Ella Henry, you were doing a bit of a boogie in the chair there. Pretty, it's, uh, you you yeah. were stock still, Patty. So, um, I was in so. London in the early 80s, you know, when Yazoo oh, and Flock of Seagulls, and you could go to the Hammersmith on a Saturday night and, you know, Culture Club. It was um, wow. before I came home in 84. It was, it was a very so you were there. cool scene in London, and looking a bit boy Georgie yeah. was a kind of interesting way to go out into the world. It was ahead of his time, wasn't it? That that that, that new romantic No, not really. I mean not if you think about the punk looks of the seventies oh. and the evolution of the fact that, you know, there was a generation of young folk which I was glad to be part of that were just finding their feet around their identity. That was kind of global and kind of into big issues as well as Lots and lots of drugs and sex and rock and roll. Okay. Yeah, well, I was I was five years old, growing up, <laughs> growing up in a Catholic Catholic family in New Plymouth at the time, watching this on RTR Countdown, going, "What the heck is happening?" <laughs> did, did, did mum and dad turn oh, off? Quick, yeah, so they, they yeah turn, it, turn it off, and the and the lamb lamb chops and potatoes would be out, you know. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. Well, before we move on, no, I haven't got time, but uh, no, gosh, no, no, no. you paint a good picture sometimes, Patrick, I've got to say. Um, the lamb chops boiling in New Plymouth in RTR County, I'm f- five years old. What's this, Mum? Never you mind, Patrick Gower. Um, now, um, we have had such a big response regarding electric vehicles. Uh, we will, well, I'll save those up. I'll save all that for July the 1st, and we'll get the expert on, and we'll do a, a, a long um, uh, Q&A regarding that. It is 25 to 5, the panel, RNZ National. An increasing number of New Zealand businesses are paying ransoms to cyber criminals, reports Anusha Bradley for RNZ. Malware attacks, which included ransomware, increased 2,008% last year, according to the government agency 13Z. The founder of forensic technology and cyber security company Incident Response Solutions, Campbell McKenzie, was quoted in Bradley's item saying some of his clients were so paralysed by ransomware attacks they felt they had no choice but to pay, with some shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars. So let's discuss with AUT's Professor of Computer Science, Dave Perry. Professor Perry, kia ora. Kia ora. Some malware attacks have increased 2,008% last year and it's down to a spike in what's known as Trojan malware Emotet. Can you explain that for us? So, yeah. So, effectively, um, um, if you break that down into into the parts of it, so the the Trojan bit means that, uh, like a Trojan horse, it's a, a piece of software that comes onto a network which doesn't look like it's an attacking piece of software. Uh, it will be disguised as um, some normal file. Some of these things are even so clever that they actually change um, their, their their contents, so they actually so you can't just search for them, uh, and they change their name fairly regularly as well. Uh, and then the the other parts of that, effectively, what they do is once they're activated, 
they will go and um, encrypt or delete um, as many files as they can before you see it's happening, uh, and they can do this very quickly. Uh, and then when uh, you're asked for your ransom, they, uh, if you pay up, then the criminals will give you um, a piece of software which will have the, the decryption key for that for those files and you'll get them back hopefully i can only imagine can't you that uh, i mean how distressing would it be you have a business could be a small business then out of the blue your life changes with possibly one email dave it's it's, it's a tremendously um a horrible thing to happen and it, it of course it's extremely destructive um for people and of course especially with small businesses i mean it's one of the reasons why these numbers have gone up is because oh. they often don't have the levels of defenses that, that a larger organization will have um and because quite often you actually need people having a sort of oversight of your network and understanding what's going on uh, and if you're a small business you, you, you can't afford that so it is very very um big issue and as you know we're starting to see now that we we can't sort of hide in New Zealand we are part of the world and uh, we're going to have to sort of think more about how we can support businesses to to get the good good processes in place uh, and you know there'll be lots of things we'll have to share and and, and work together on Ella, what do you think? I, I mean, I have nothing but absolute sympathy for businesses, especially smaller ones that are so reliant on on internet global business, you know, to grow, to flourish, to just survive. And somebody gave me a tip recently. <clears throat> a lot of I used to have the preview pane on my email, you know, at, at, at yes. Outlook. Yes. So so that I would know. Oh, I don't want that one. Well, if it's if it's open in the preview pane, it's open whether you double-click on it to open it, which means that if there is something... But, like, I'm, I'm now brutal. That's just it. If I don't know you... Okay. I will delete you. Yeah, okay. Sorry, because... because <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, because, no, you've got to, you've got to be like that. Because my, my professional email life through university, I have to protect the, myself and the organisation, but my personal one is my family. So I'm like... Brutal with unknown names that turn up in my email inbox because Dave, anything could happen. Absolutely, I mean, look, that's, that's really good. Uh, unfortunately, the, the problem is that you've you've got to be reasonably paranoid. Um, yeah. And one of the big issues is that when we look at um, things like social media, but also some of the sort of previous attacks and, and even things like your normal sort of public persona on websites and things like that. People can be sending you things which very much look like it's relevant to you and, and sound like they're from somebody. Uh, just to be more paranoid, of course, there are uh, attacks that actually take over somebody else's email so that they're sending email from a known site, from a person that you know, to you as well. Uh, so, so, yes, the, 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 the more sort of cautious you can be, maybe not completely paranoid, but cautious, the better. Dave, my question about this is what happens to those companies that are struck by an attack and someone comes in and goes hey look your security wasn't up to scratch and you say look I know I'm sorry but get me out of what do I you know we can worry about that tomorrow what we need to worry about now is getting my files back what is the advice to the person in that circumstance that's caught out by this and doesn't actually want to know um, too much about how they got in there but now just needs to get their files back in and, and reset, essentially? What is the advice to the person in that, in that awful situation? Uh, absolutely. Go along to CERT, which is the, the New Zealand Government um, Cybersecurity Centre, uh, and let them know what's happened, and they can give you advice on whether uh, sometimes 
we're very lucky and there's a known fix and you can just download the known fix and sort it. Uh, other times they might be uh, advising you to look for um, uh, another company to help you or um, other ways of protecting it. But those, that's, that's the point of call. Go to, go to search first and, and they'll be able to, to, to give you a lot of help, helpful but, information but, but, and possibly solve it. But clearly there are people out there that are then deciding, I'm going to pay these people. And that's, that's uh, you know, I'm wondering who advises you to do that and where you, where you get to that. And the other thing I've always wondered about that is how can you trust them? So you pay yeah. them and then well, how do you right. know that you don't wake up the next morning and they're like, hey, we're still in your system? Well, uh, no, you can't. Um, I mean, they are criminals. Uh, so so when, when you get to the point of, of paying, then... It would be very bad advice not not to uh, go and get some security advice from from a, from a security professional, uh, which again you can find out through. So that people are against paying, but they will assist. There are companies that will assist you if you really have to pay. Some insurance companies will assist on that. Right. But, but in terms of trust, yep, you haven't got a hundred percent trust. The only only hope that you've got is that for the criminals, given in the fact in particular that the U.S. government's taking a far more aggressive approach, okay. uh, and I'm sure our government will as well, that possibly, you know, that would be the first first attack would be people who are saying they're going to liberate it and not liberating it. But uh, you're, you're relying on the, on the sort of honour of thieves, really. Sorry, I had the uh, You know, I mean, the reality is this is like the mafia extortion. Um, and I remember reading about one company after the Waikato attack who said, look, they wanted 100,000. We went back and said, we've only got 5,000. They said, OK. Mm. Right. We'll take it. Yeah. So, so we are talking about bottom dwellers in the criminal netherworld who have obviously stumbled upon some kind of tool or device or hacking capacity, and they are, you know, I, I literally don't know what we as a planet are going to do about it because we've opened the door to global connection via the internet. Professor Dave, uh, Dave Perry, thank you again for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks. 17 to 5, the panel INZ National U uh, with uh, Patty Gower and Dr Ella Henry this afternoon on Monday's panel. <laughs> RNZ profiled an interesting film today on children's dental care by Frank Film. It's a crisis by the age of five. Forty-one percent of New Zealand children suffer tooth decay, the film says, and it says the word clearance has various meanings. But in the dentistry world, dental clearances mean taking out all the teeth in the mouth, and that has happened to kids to a concerning level. And that a 100 years on since school dental service was established in 1921, our children's teeth are failing. So to discuss is a paediatric, uh, specialist paediatric dentist for the Canterbury District Health Board, Dr Arunkuma Natrajan. Uh, Dr Natrajan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Kia ora. Hello. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. No pleasure. I understand that you saw last year through your practice 1,300 kids. That's right. That's, that's correct. And, and um, we are projecting 1,500 uh, referrals for this year to um, Canterbury uh, District Health Board Hospital Dental Service. Um, so I work there as a um, specialist pediatric dentist so, along with my other colleagues. Um, so the referrals keep climbing up, and um, you know um, we're just in a real, um, you know, um, crisis at the moment, um, and we are almost doing uh, not about it, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Gosh. So two-year-olds, they have twenty teeth. Have you taken twenty teeth out of two-year-olds? Yes. Yes. And and some of them are in nappies still, and they come to 
you know, um, be put to sleep. Um, and we've taken out, you know, um, that's just, um, you know, it's not just me. Um, my colleagues around the country are doing it, you know, um, from um, Auckland to um, Nelson. So um, it's not surprising for dentists, but it's shocking. It's really shocking. Uh, Patrick, yeah. I know you've done some work on this. Is it interest yours? Yeah, this is an area, and I've, I've you know, um, been reporting when um, it was a four-year-old actually in Hamilton that had all of their teeth removed. A, a two-year-old is even more shocking. And, uh, you know, my question for you, Doctor, is what is the magic bullet here? How can we stop this? What, if you could wave the metaphorical wand as a dentist, what would it be? Yeah, really good um, question. But um, the fact is... Um, there's a wicked problem, so which means um, you know there is a there's a lot of complexity involved in this, um, and there is no magic bullet. But we've got several magic bullets that we could do to solve this, you know, to address this one condition. Um, it's one of the most common um, reason for you know childhood hospital admissions um, across New Zealand, and um, things like community water fluoridation. Um, that's we know that works and it's safe, effective, um, and it removes some of the iniquities that exist, um, especially in Maori and Pacific um, and the fauna and association. Ella. Uh, look, I'm going to tell you about an initiative that was started in the 1990s by Ngāti Hine Health Trust around um, Kawakawa. <clears throat> they got some funding to give to every school child, primary school child, because the North had some of the highest mm. rates of dental uh, infection requiring l- literally a helicopter to Whangarei or Auckland for surgery. They gave every school child a free toothbrush and toothpaste and made time at school. Now, if you are eking out a miserable existence with a large family, then $5 for toothpaste and $5 for toothbrush for every kid is a lot of money. And I'm not saying there's just bad parenting involved here in what's happening. The fact that we live in a country where it's cheaper to buy a bottle of fizzy sugar water then a good healthy drink is deplorable. But that intervention over the years that they got funding for it had an extraordinary impact on the level of severe dental right. problems. So I agree with you entirely. It's multiple strategies. But part of that, there's a correlation, I think, between getting rid of school dental clinics and this rise, just like they got rid of swimming pools and we saw a rise in drowning. At what point is the government going to take responsibility for using my taxes to save our children? Would you agree with that, Aaron Kuma? Because uh, there, are, there are a lot of people of a certain age, including myself, uh, this is this is Monroe East, and I can recall, uh, uh, Master Chapman, you're wanted, you know, and, <laughs> and we'd all sort of scare, be a bit frightened, but that... that that 2006 change when the, your local school dental service left the school to go to a community hub, should it go back perhaps? Are you there? Yeah. It's been that. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, and. We're going to have to sort of leave it there, Dr. Nutterjump. Unfortunately, that's uh, very, very sad because the, the line is so terrible. Um, but, um, yeah, but I think pick I'll, up on I'll that, pick Patrick? up on that and, you know, bring back the murder house. Um, bring back the murder house. Um, we know, and obviously the problems there are very much bigger than 
schools because that's a two-year-old child that he's talking about. So that is sugar, and yes, fluoridation will come. But ultimately, we do have a place where we have kids all in one place, and whānau and families have already got them there. They've done the mahi to get them there. They're at work, they're away, and that's where we can get them. With the community hubs, we know that if you're working in two jobs um, and something happens, parents are working one job each, you can't get the kids to the community hub, you miss your appointment. Schools are where we've got them in one place. We need to bring back the dental services into the schools. All kids get equitable dental services and they're fine. I look at my own children. Their teeth are perfect. We come from a higher echelon of society. It is not an issue. They brush their teeth every day. They eat good food. We don't so have a lot of sugar. Of, so it's part of parental education. Yes. A part of it is being uh, an aware parent. Yep. But also having not? the resources. Yes. Most people know that they need to brush their teeth. But if it's a, if it's a choice between food on the table... And toothpaste, guess what's going to win? That's right. And we're going to have a society where um, the poor people in lower decile areas have terrible teeth and their lives are completely affected by it. Right throughout their life, they don't have confidence to get a job. It just goes on and on and on, and it's a, it's a cycle. Can, other... can I just, because there, there, some people might just say to both of you, really, how hard can it be to buy a toothbrush to buy some toothpaste and clean your toddler's teeth morning and night. The people who say that obviously have never had to live on the kind of miserable amounts of money we're seeing in the stories you're covering, <clears throat> Patrick, of families having $60 a week for food. You know, what do you do when you've got $60? Are you really going to spend $10 of that on a new toothbrush and toothpaste? I think not. And Parents and and the most vulnerable should not be penalised. These are the things we should be subsidising, not $300 million to the Antarctic, not $700 million to wander across the Harbour Bridge, quite frankly. Yeah, and uh, I I think every now and then I believe in personal responsibility, but Look, society, sometimes the problems are too big. Actually, we've got a, we've got a system where we could do it. It's called the murder house. Um, bring it back, open them up where they are, and, uh, and get on with fixing these teeth. All right there, Patty Gower <laughs> and uh, Ella Henry says bring back the murder house. <laughs> 2101, what do you think? All right. Uh, now, an Auckland man is offering to mow his neighbour's burns for free by recruiting and paying young people to get the job done. The North Shore resident says he's willing to spend up to $100 every week to maintain other people's Booms. He wants to live in a community where everyone's happy. This from Chris Mariner in the New Zealand Herald. To find out more about this offer, I'm joined by Rick Mezes. And Rick, welcome to the panel. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. A hundred dollars a week, really? Absol- absolutely. And look, dare I say it, potentially even more. It's not really so much about the money. It's about the fact that every time I drive down the street and I see the uh, the unmowed grass, I just I want to have a seizure. Um, so something's got to be done, and I'm going to do something about it. As I understand, so you, this is the Northcote property. You've been there for five years, and you have been mowing uh, all the berms for 100 metres for the past uh, for, for quite a while. That's an extraordinary amount of mowing to do. Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, I'll be honest. I do enjoy mowing lawns. I probably don't enjoy mowing lawns to the extent of the entire street. Uh, but I can tell you what, I've been going for about two years, whether it's council property, whether it's uh, privately owned. And, look, I don't think I'm really here to point fingers or such. I understand there's legitimate reasons for people not being able to mow their lawns, but 
you know, I can't drive down the street and uh, and see unmowed grass. It just really gets well, my go. I'm going to be honest with you then. Some would say this is really passive-aggressive behaviour. What, yeah, what's it to you? What, what, what's it your business to mow other people's berms? Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I'd probably put that back to them and say um, that kind of victimisation response is probably a bit of a cop-out on the fact that it's not that hard for them to mow their own lawn. Um, whether it's passive-aggressive, I mean, I suppose they can see it how they like, but what I can say is everyone on the street whose lawns I've been mowing usually comes out to give me a hug, a kiss and a plate of food. So... If it is passive-aggressive, they show their uh, frustration with that in a really odd way. Well, one of the tenants said, look, you you know, not all of us can buy a lawnmower or a weed whacker. Not all of us can afford to pay someone to do it for us. Why don't you wait for them to get the family involved? So just butt out. Yeah, look, that's... That's a really good question. And look, the response that I gave to those guys in my Facebook post, which, by the way, has about 50 likes on it, um, is that, look, I think there's probably two, two, two aspects. The first aspect is, look, I think by my little mission that I'm kind of on here is less about individually, you know, say, taking people out. It's really about just a general culture of the fact that a lot of our lawns aren't maintained, like one in three, I would say. The second part to it is, look, when I was a tenant several years ago, I went on Trade Me and I bought a lawnmower for $15 and I used to mow all of our lawns outside the front of our property and inside the property weekly. I did it five times, Wallace, five times just to get it to look right. But you know what? Consideration for my neighbours made me do it. And you know what? I think that if people really wanted to, I think they could probably make it work. All right. Good to have you on the panel. Rick Moses in there, who is the boom warrior. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Wallace. Really quick response to that. Boom Warrior, yes or no, Patrick? Boom Warrior is a hero. Uh, look, he, he, he's got some pretty full-on arguments, but uh, what he's doing ultimately is for the greater good. Boom Warrior is a hero. Absolutely. Okay. Rock <laughs> on, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Love your work. Love your work. You know what okay. it's about? It's about caring for your community, <laughs> and you're showing it, and you're showing love for your neighbours, and that's the kind and, of country we want to live. 50 likes on a Facebook, Facebook <laughs> 50, post. 50 Do not likes. like. That does not lie. That's all you need to hear right there. Okay. <laughs> okay, thumbs up for Boom Warrior. Finally, to our Monday afternoon small business segment, supporting New Zealand Made on the panel. And to something a little different, Rochelle does these auto art pieces, a homage to trucks, to vans, to cars, painting commissions, whether it be a 68 Ford Falcon XT commission or a 2001 Kenworth K104, even a 2012 Max Superliner. Rochelle can paint it. Welcome to the panel, Rochelle. Hello. You know what? I saw your pictures and I thought to myself, okay, that is some extraordinary talent. How did this start for you? What got you into painting trucks? Um, I painted my first picture just over 10 years ago. It was just a little shack and everyone was like, that's so cool. And so I started painting more things. And then a friend of a friend asked me to paint a truck. And that was it. I painted the first truck and yeah. It's become a bit of a side business. It looks like people really have a close personal relationship with their truck or their car. Have you found that? Yes, yes. They're, well, they're a, they're a huge investment for a lot of people and, and they're living and they're very proud of them, yes. Could, do, you, do you reckon you could do a picture of a 2001 Toyota Corolla with our celebrity <laughs> Patrick Gow here? He's got a very good case. very proud of it. Patty? I, I can make it look awesome. Trust me. <laughs>
I would, and believe it or not, I've really enjoyed my, my time on the panel today, and I'm going to do something I never thought I would do, but I'm going to commission some art uh, from you. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. but not, not, not for me, actually. My <clears throat> Uncle Don collects trucks. He's very passionate about trucks and tractors. Um, I know um, about the love of trucks, trucks, trucks and tractors and whatnot, and I've, I've seen your paintings, and I would love for you um, to do one for my Uncle Don. Uh, so I'm hoping you're up, up north somewhere and I, I can get your contact de- details after this. And he's got an old Bedford. I don't know what year it is, but it'll make a beautiful painting. I can't wait to see it. Amazing. And it's not even oh. a commercial channel. It's not even a commercial <laughs> channel. <laughs> <laughs> away. Thank you. Uh, look, I have a nephew. Truck, I come from a family of truck drivers. Oh, I have a nephew who named his firstborn child Scania <laughs> after yeah. his oh. truck. Right. Till his grandmother, my sister, said, yeah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> and he had to change it and became a middle name. So a man and his truck. I suppose you've got, got, got Mac and Kenworth oh, yes, well, in the my, family my as well. My granddaughter's middle name is Chevelle. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, Rochelle, is there any favourite picture? Uh, you sent a couple of uh, Macs uh, across the dish last year. What's what's a recent favourite? Uh, well, one of the Macs that I sent over to Australia, uh, to Tasmania, it's an action shot with all the dust, massive logs on the back. That That is one of my favourites. And... Uh, I've got so many favourites. Um, there's some beautiful Kenworths that I've painted. But, yeah, yeah. Kenworths, eh? I, yeah. I couldn't really say which is my favourite, favourite, favourite. Wonderful to have you on the programme, Rochelle. And that is uh, Facebook, and you can check Auto Art by Rochelle. We'll get uh, you in touch. We'll, we'll put you in touch with Patrick Gower right here, right? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> nice one. And on that note, Patty, you've been wonderful. Oh, appreciate thank you it. so much for having me, Wallace. And Dr. Ella Henry. Thank you so Same much. Oh, shout out to Eliza Bidwan Gisborne and Good Food Gisborne because nice. otherwise they were going to hurt me when I go down there. Really cool. <laughs> oh. Oh. I'm Wallace Chapman. Back tomorrow, 3.45. Till then, see ya.